My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. We are local. We're in the Wyoming Valley in the Wilkes-Barre area. And what we're doing is looking to start small groups to talk about spiritual matters, to look at the Bible together. We're trying to plant many small churches where there are disciples of Jesus Christ. We're trying to be disciples ourselves, but we also want to make disciples to follow after Christ. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like and follow us for video, content, teaching, preaching. You can find us on YouTube as well. Be sure to subscribe and turn on the bell to be notified of any new videos. Please also look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you would like to have a Bible study, you want to pray with somebody, you want to talk to someone, then please contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. I also want to tell you that we are in the midst of building a website. You can go to godsresistance.com. There's, uh, it's very simple right at the moment, but we will be uploading the full site in as soon as it's finished. So I just wanted to give you a heads up there. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. Last week, we were going through 1 John chapter 4, and this week, We're going through 1 John chapter 5. We'll start with the first verse. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. So if you're a true believer, you believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the anointed one, the one that was to come, the only begotten Son of God. There's no equal. He's not a great teacher like, Confucius or Buddha or any of these other spiritual gurus. He's not just uh, one of God's prophets. He is the one that God has called for a specific purpose, Christ the Anointed One. Notice that it starts, uh, or it says that everyone that loveth him that begat, that's God the Father, loveth him also that is begotten of him, that is Christ. It says everyone, not some. So if you are truly born again and you believe in Christ, then you love God the Father, and you love His Son. Now, this was a direct rebuke to the Gnostics, because they didn't feel like they really needed Jesus. He was just a phantom. Uh, They kind of paid homage to Him with their lips. He, He really wasn't anything central in their faith. But as a Christian, Christ is the center of our faith. And this is also somewhat of a rebuke in our modern day to the Mormons, to Jehovah Witness, and to Christian scientists who deny the centrality or the central place of Jesus Christ in their faith. He's not God in the flesh. He's not the one that's come. And and they, they don't have him in the center like God the Father does. But he says, everyone uh, that loveth God the Father that begat, let us God the Father, loveth him also that is begotten of him, that is Jesus. So if you say that you truly love God, you will truly love Jesus Christ. You will love him for his sacrifice on the cross. You will love him for his whole purpose of coming to earth. Moving on to the second verse. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. By this 
means here's a test of assurance. Here's a test of reality to you that say you're a Christian or that would like to think that you're a Christian or even would like to walk in that direction. Here's a test for you. Uh, if we don't love God, uh, then we, or if we do love God, we would then obey his commandments. We will do the things that he said. But when we don't love God, we end up hating the very children of God. That's what this verse is telling us. If, if we obey his commandments, then we do love God. But, you know, when we hear God's commandments, we don't like what it says. We kind of push it off to the side and we don't have a problem just with his commandments. Then we end up having somewhat of a hatred towards those people that do love God's commandments. So many Christians uh, or, or many people that say they're Christians, they don't hold uh, the truth uh, or, or as, as like a, a value system in them. They don't hold the Christian values. They do not love the true children of God, and they don't really love God himself. There's no real radical change of heart that leads to obedience in their lives. But that is the vast difference between what we would, uh, the vast difference of those that say they're Christians and those that really are Christians. And so we move on to the third verse. He said, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. There is the awful cry uh, for the love or, or for the truth of God in these days uh, is that God is love. You've probably heard something like that before. God is love. And, I, and people say, I love God. Oh, but the problem is that they have this idea of God that's not quite centered on the revelation that God's given us through the Bible. They say the Bible's written by men. Uh, and I I was once preaching out on the street. Uh, I was with another brother, actually. At this point, he was preaching. And amongst other things that he was preaching, he mentioned the sin of homosexuality. And a young man came running across the street, was very angry, and said, you're a hater. And, what, and he said, I'm not a hater. I'm telling you it's inside of the scripture. This is what God says is sin. And the, the, the man shouted at him, pointing his finger, and said, that's a wrong translation. That's a wrong translation. And it's not that it's a wrong translation. It's that when we do love God, we'll obey his commandments and keep them. But when we don't love God, we'll find a problem with his commandments or with the revealed word of God. And that's what this verse is teaching us. The true love of God is to obey God's commandments. They're not grievous to us. It's not like we just have this grudging obedience like, oh, I really don't want to obey God, but I guess I just have to if I'm going to call myself a Christian. Neither is it when we say we love God, that we disagree with his revelation and only obey some parts of it. Basically, we start rebelling against him, not only in that I disagree with what you say, but I'm also not going to do what you say. John makes it very clear, that distinct difference. And this whole book has really been doing that. Let's look on the uh, fourth verse of this chapter. For whatsoever is born of God, and really it should say whosoever is born of God, overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So if you're born of God, there is a result that takes place. And John says that result is that you overcome the world. The world doesn't overcome you. And many people that say they're Christians live a life that looks like the world is, has overcome them. 
And it continues to overcome that. It basically dominates their life. But he said, if you're born of God, it's the other way around. The world doesn't overcome you. You overcome the world. And the question may be, well, how does the born-again Christian overcome the world? This scripture verse tells us that faith in the plain gospel and not faith in something made up like this Gnostic doctrinal system or any other doctrinal system or teachings that come up even now in our present day, it's faith in the gospel that is going to help you overcome the world. Those other systems of teaching don't help you overcome the world. In, instead, they try and make it seem like the, you know, the lust of the, of the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, all that's good and, and wholesome and we should enjoy it as long as we've got our ticket punch. But he says, even our faith overcomes the world. And this faith is not exclusively just our action of will, you know, to trust God. I have faith and I believe him, but faith is literally our belief system. And that belief system is the gospel as it's revealed to us in Jesus Christ through the Bible, the revealed word of God. So now it's not, what do you think or what do you feel? It's what does God say and what has he shown us? And that, that is where we find large at large, the scriptures is where he shows us what the Christian faith is. He says, even our faith, our Christian faith, according to the Bible, that makes us overcome the world and get the victory over the world. Doesn't that sound radically different than a lot of the teachers that we hear today that basically say you, you just kind of sin in thought, word, and deed every day of your life, and they, and they somehow flirt around with the world? I don't want to flirt around with the world. I want victory over those things that imprisoned me, namely my sin. Uh, the fifth verse here, who is he? that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This verse is a drilled down explanation of the previous verse. So when you believe Jesus is the Son of God, you have repented, you have believed in him as, as the sacrifice for your sins, the only way that now you can be freed from your sins. And then there's a result that happens, happens after that, which is, that you act accordingly to your belief. You act like you've had victory. You live like you've had victory. You literally overcome the world in your life. You're freed from sin. You're freed from that evil lust. You're freed to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Those people are victorious. Verse 6. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit that beareth witness because the spirit is truth. Here, this verse is giving us a bit of concrete evidence, empirical evidence, something that, you know, you and I can see and we can hold to its empirical evidence. And he has two points of empirical evidence. First, the water. And what he's speaking about here with water was when Jesus was baptized. Here's the one that came on earth and there are some witnesses. There's something concrete that bears witness of who he was, that baptism with water. Jesus was baptized publicly in his earthly ministry, and that's when his earthly ministry started. He said he did it to fulfill all righteousness. Then it says not only water, but the blood. And he shed his blood, his own human blood, to fulfill the plan and covenant of God. Uh, and this also could be referring to when the, the soldiers pierced Jesus' side, and it said, 
John in his gospel said that out from that piercing by the spear came water and blood, really just giving us concrete evidence that God came in the flesh and he wasn't a phantom. He was a real living man and that we have this concrete evidence before us. Verse seven, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the father, the word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. There's a biblical principle that we've uh, read, or maybe you haven't read, but it is there in the Old Testament. At the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. In other words, somebody couldn't come up and accuse somebody of something that is one person, and then the death penalty or some punishment would come upon them because one person made an accusation. It said, no, that has to be confirmed by two or three witnesses at least. But here we have the heavenly witness, and the heavenly witness is that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, and he's the son of the living God. He lived as fully God and fully man on this earth, and he shed his human blood for the pardoning of our sins. Let's move on to the eighth verse. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. So the Spirit bore witness during Jesus' baptism. It said that the Spirit of the Lord descended upon Jesus like a dove. So the Spirit bore witness there where uh, it was a visible sign that could be seen by people around. Even John the Baptist attested to seeing that Spirit like a dove coming upon Jesus. I really don't know what all that means except that he attested to being able to see it. Then we see there's three that bear witness, the Spirit and the water, and I mentioned this before, the baptism, the fulfilling of all righteousness publicly as John the Baptist baptized Jesus with water at the the River Jordan. Then we find the spirit, the water, and the blood that flowed from his human body at Calvary. So there's three heavenly witnesses, and there's three earthly witnesses. Both heaven and earth attest to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the one that's been prophesied about, He came here in human flesh, fully God and fully man, which is refuting the Gnostic teaching. The ninth verse, if we receive the witness of men, John says, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his son. So if you just believe what men say, this is John's argument, if you believe, even if you believe the the heresy of these Gnostic teachers, they're teaching things that are wrong and false. If you believe them, or more nobly, if you believe the apostles, why wouldn't you receive what God says? Why wouldn't you receive the testimony of God himself? Picking up here on the 10th verse, he says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him, that is God, a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. So, We're taught right here in this verse that belief comes before the witness of God's spirit in your soul. When you have a living faith in Jesus as he is the Christ, he's the only begotten son of God, and he's your personal savior, then the presence of Christ becomes a spiritual reality to you. When you don't believe this, then you essentially are calling God a liar because you don't believe God's testimony. God's given us a testimony because these things are not just going to be found out by us sitting down and thinking for a long time. There's some things that when we look in, in creation, 
we can gain from God, that he's all powerful. He's got perfect wisdom. He can sustain all these things. He must be some powerful being, but to know about his Christ, that had to be a specific revelation. And this, the Gnostics were guilty of and uh, and influencing the church greatly. They, They did not believe God's testimony that Jesus came as human flesh and blood, God in the flesh, and physically died for our sins. They didn't believe that. And John's saying, no, that's not the Christian faith, because those that really do believe the Son of God, they have the witness in themselves. They know that these things are true. So you may ask again, what exactly is this record, though, that we're supposed to believe in that God gave of his Son? Well, that uh, we can find here in 1 John, in the fifth uh, chapter, 11th verse. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. God has given us eternal life. And he, does, he hasn't just given it to us indiscriminately. I was talking with a, a lady out on the street in downtown Wilkesbury, and she said, why are you talking like this and, and speaking about sin and preaching about sin? Don't you know that Jesus died for all our sins? He died, so now we can just live in the, in the human flesh however we want. That couldn't be farther from the truth. He died so that we can be freed from our sins and freed from the sin problem. So he doesn't just give us eternal life indiscriminately, but he gives it to us through belief in Jesus Christ, his son. And we are not waiting for eternal life later, but it begins in the heart of every true believer the moment that they're born again, the moment that they repent of their sins and believe on Jesus Christ to save them. Uh, Let's look at the 12th verse. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If If you have the indwelling Christ, you have life. You've been born again, regenerated, made anew. All things are become new. That is your life if you have Christ. You have new life in you. However, if you do not have the indwelling Christ, you don't have those things that I mentioned above. You don't have life. You're not born again. You're not regenerated. All things haven't become new. And so this verse is teaching us you cannot reject who God has declared Christ to be and then have eternal spiritual life. If you reject God's revelation and his commandments, you're not a Christian, according to this verse. Verse 13. These things. Have I written unto you that be, uh, have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God? So he's speaking to Christians that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So here we find John is encouraging them, the Christians, those that have had this experience of being born again and being saved. He's encouraging them not to sell out their eternal reality for this false teaching from these Gnostics who are propagating all this nonsense inside of the church and and causing upheaval. John's saying, don't sell yourself short. I've written these things to you that believe on the name of the Son of God so that you have that assurance that you have eternal life. They don't have anything more to offer you or better to offer you. So that helps us right now by way of application to realize this point. Listener, don't sell out your soul for the smooth talkers that tell you, You just got to get your ticket punched. And if you get your ticket punched, you'll get to heaven no matter what you do. Run from people that talk like that. The Bible talks about victory over sin. Smooth talkers are everywhere. 
but we're interested in truth, even if it hurts. We want the true reality because we want to walk with God and we, won't, we don't want to be surprised when we stand before him on the day of judgment. So if you have the true faith, then you have the true reality. You know by experience the living Christ. And he's saying to those Christians, hold on to that. And what God is saying to us in these days is, Christian, you hold on to that. Don't be deceived by the smooth talkers. Verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that is in God, that if we ask anything according to God's will, he heareth us. So here we go. Leave the chaff behind. Here's the confidence we have, believer. Here's the confidence you have, Christian. Leave that chaffy teaching behind. You've got the real meat and marrow of what God wants to offer. So what's the outcome of this reality of eternal life in your heart right now? He says it's confidence. Confidence in what? Well, confidence that you're a child of God, but specifically in this verse, you have confidence in the place of prayer. Our prayers, now that we've been saved, if we've been saved, are naturally not selfish anymore, but they're in line with the living Christ and the revealed word of God. Our prayers are heard where the prayers of those that are not true believers aren't heard. We have confidence that the unbeliever and that the false converts don't have. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We know God hears us because we've been changed, our desires have been changed, and even our prayers have been changed to align with God's revealed will. Verse 15, and if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have desired of him. So. With that confident knowledge, when we ask God for something, we presently have it, though the manifestation of it has not yet come, because we know that God is faithful to his promise, and he's hearing us because I'm asking according to his will. Why is he telling us this? Let's move on to the 16th verse. I I believe this is why. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask. And he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Here's the the thought. He's been trying to help people understand what truth is in the midst of all these people that are teaching error everywhere. And he gets down to this point and says, listen, if you've got eternal life and reality inside your heart, you've got confidence to pray and you're praying according to God's will. He hears you and he's going to do what you ask. And it applies in the salvation of people's souls. Order your brothers or sisters that are trying to walk uh, with God and maybe getting confused because of these smooth talkers. So he's, it's basically like he's saying, if you have seen your brother get swept up into this false teaching that we can live in sin and, and in thought, word, and deed every day of our lives, and, it, and they basically have little to no victory over sin at all, he's like he's saying to them, Pray for these deceived and lost ones. Your prayers will prevail because you know the truth and God's listening to you. Pray for them that they also will hear the truth, get saved, and walk in victory over sin. But he does mention something pretty curious in this verse, and that is a sin unto death. What in the world is he talking about? The only place that we find in the Bible where it talks about a sin that cannot be forgiven is the sin of blasphemy against the the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, for that sin and that sin alone, there is never forgiveness. What does that mean? 
It's basically that you have rejected the only means by which you can be saved. And I, I don't know all of what that entails, but there are people that have so given themselves over to Satan and to God and have rejected the Holy Ghost wholesale into such a place where they will never allow that the Holy Ghost can influence them. And we're said that if we're saved, we're born of the Spirit. If you have blasphemed the Holy Ghost, there is no salvation. There is no pardon for you. So he says, if you find somebody that's done that, I'm not asking you to pray for that because that's the unforgivable sin. But any other sin, I want you to pray for that. The Gnostics may very well have committed this unpardonable sin. And perhaps that's why he's saying that. I want you to pray for people. If there's these people that have totally given themselves up to that, I'm not asking you to pray for them, but pray for the people that are lost, that maybe have been influenced by these teachers, and pray that they truly will walk in victory. Verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Again, I just alluded to this in the previous verse, but basically, any unrighteousness that we see is sin. And we can pray for all of those but that one unpardonable sin. That's what he's saying to us. If we see people living in sin, pray for them. Pray for them that they would get convicted of their sins, that they would be saved, they would truly walk in victory over sin and not just be trapped in this false smooth talker religion, but have true victory over sin. He said, you can pray for those sins and you should because God's listening to you. That's his will, that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Verse 18, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. So if we see someone sinning, this verse tells us they're not born again, and they need to be. And we're to pray for those, uh, for these that we see with the confidence that, that was above mentioned that if we walk with God and ask according to his will, he hears us. We can change the course of lives that are lost in sin because we have sway with God, because we love him, we obey him, we keep his commandments, he's listening to us, and he will, in answer to our prayers, convict others of sin and lead them to victory in Jesus Christ. The true born-again believer, we read in this verse, is somebody who is kept. He's kept because of his what has happened in his own heart. He shuns, or he or she, shuns sin and flees from it. They don't want anything to do with it. They're not flirting with it. And we're also told that the wicked one toucheth him not. So he has the keeping power of God inside of his heart where the devil won't succeed in destroying the believer because the believer's fully given themselves over to God. Verse 19, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. So true born again believers are walking with God in a world that is blinded in darkness. And then it ends with this verse, and we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So Jesus Christ is the only remedy. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the truth. And anything or anybody that rejects Jesus Christ is not true. Verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Do not then worship the false gods of unbelievers. So you do you believe God's testimony of the truth? Do you have the witness of God's spirit in you 
of Jesus, the Savior? Are you living in victory over sin? Or are you being deceived by somebody that says that you can't have victory? You may be saying, well, what do I do if I find myself in this position anywhere? Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email me at gods.resistance at gmail.com. Introduce yourself to me. Set up a time so that we can meet together, and I want to coach you and help you further to walk with God. Your, uh, the other step is to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. You'll get more teaching, preaching to help you on your journey along the way. You'll be able to connect with others that are going through their journey together, and then tell your friends. Tell your friends about this broadcast. It's on every Sunday at 9 a.m. here on WITK. 1550 AM and 94.7 FM, and tell your friends about social media, uh, the social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Now, if you can do that, you'll be on your way to making, to, to, for you to be a disciple, and then helping your friends to be disciple, and spreading the truth of scriptural holiness and victory over sin to a lost world. Join the resistance, God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.